the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Taking a look at estate planning with estate planning attorney Frank Parrish. Frank, uh, let's talk about two things quickly. First, uh, for the parent that has a special needs son or daughter, is an estate plan an effective means by which you can make sure that that child is cared for? Absolutely. And you need to obviously take special care in having it properly drafted is called the technical term is called a special needs trust and it's drafted so that you make certain if you there's this a handicapped child with major learning disabilities what have you you want to make certain that if that child is qualifies for governmental assistance and many do you don't want the inheritance that that child will receive or the, the, the potential of an inheritance that that child would receive at your passing, you don't want that to disqualify that special needs child from getting governmental assistance. I mean, currently the law is structured where if an individual with, just say, with a major developmental uh, disability problems, uh, just say mental disability problems, physical disability problems. If you leave assets to that child, whether it's a minor child or an adult child at your date of death, and it isn't structured in a particularly designed trust that is defined as a special needs trust, if you leave it to that child just in trust for their benefit, the governmental assistance may be completely cut off until they consume all of their inherited assets and then they have to reapply through their guardian or conservator to to receive governmental assistance. By comparison, if a parent, husband and wife, set up in their own revocable trust a Subtrust called a special needs trust that goes into effect at the date of death of the surviving spouse for the benefit of their child. The benefits that that child currently or in the future will be receiving from the government will not, those benefits 
the the inheritance that they would receive from the parent will not disqualify that child from receiving governmental benefits. All right, let's pivot to my other question, and I know this is a scenario that that once or twice a parent has thought about. But when you're when you're putting the estate plan together, you say, well, of course we want the money to be split evenly between the kids. But what happens if, unfortunately, when mom and dad pass away, the kids have just turned eighteen, and your son is really into race cars, and now you've got an eighteen-year-old who inherits a sizable estate, and there's a few hundred grand sitting there um, in in an account somewhere, and that temptation to get over the tragic loss of mom and dad uh, by being distracted with the bright cherry red Corvette is just overwhelming. Are there ways in which you can put provisions baked into your estate plan that would not deprive that child, per se, of access to the funds if they needed them, but to make sure that the decision to buy the cherry red uh, Corvette would be something that they would be prevented from doing until a ways down the road when they're perhaps a bit more mature to uh, ponder such possible large purchases. Yes, there are absolute clear-cut ways that a parent or a grandparent, for that matter, can easily create in their own estate plan an effective uh asset management regime whereby uh, just because an individual turns 18 and is legally determined in the state of California or 21 by national standards to be an adult does not mean that they're mature enough to manage or know how to manage an inheritance. And so as a result of that, you can establish in a revocable trust that you've established during your own lifetime, subtrust for the benefit of minor children or future adult children, however you want to structure it, you can still provide that each child will share in an equal portion of your estate, but when those assets will be distributed to them and how they will be distributed to them, you can tailor to the specific needs and age increments of each of your children or grandchildren. So, so while you treat children equally, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be distributed outright. You can tailor it however you so choose. So at the end of the day, an estate plan can really be a very powerful tool, provided that it is created properly, funded properly, kept current as necessary, and that, uh, as I suggested before, this is not a do-it-yourself kind of scenario. And I know there's a lot of temptation to just go online and say, look, I got a will done for $82. <laughs> you know, And, and yeah. you're going to allow it to drive the value of a multi-million dollar estate. Probably not the best idea. And Craig, in many cases, exactly that attitude will end up costing them more than if they would have had it properly done to begin with. Yeah, un undoubtedly but, so. Now you say, okay, guys, wow, my head is spinning. Uh, sounds like we've got some work to do. Uh, make a call, uh, even if you don't set up an appointment until after the first of the year. At least it will put it on the top of your agenda for 2024. Whether you have no plan in place whatsoever or a plan that was done five years ago or over older, 
take advantage of the opportunity. Frank's a great guy, very knowledgeable, as, as undoubtedly you've heard tonight. So give him a call at 925-588-0300. That's 925-588-0300. Or online at parishestatelaw.com. That's parishestatelaw.com. He's got several offices around the Bay Area. And a great guy to sit down with, walk you through all the options, and, and help guide you through making the decisions that are best for you and your family. Frank Parrish, we appreciate so much the time and the insight. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Now, historically, we've discussed a lot about the divorce rate in America and um, a lot of the evidence that demonstrates that it's been almost as alarmingly high within the church as it is outside of the church. Well, if you think we're worried about folks that get married and then get divorced, don't think that young people aren't paying any attention. Because mom and dad, they certainly are. They're looking at the messages being sent by society and sort of, they, you know, don't like your husband today, don't care for the way your wife does her hair, divorce them. That attitude, coupled with an increasing level of media, shall we say, celebration of single life and, you know, easy relationships, no obligations, none of that. Well, that message is getting through. And... Uh, You talk about the change in the impact that the media has had on attitudes. An increasing number of young people today not only don't see any benefit in marriage, things like having children, but quite frankly have soured on the idea altogether. And while certainly the lack of healthy role models is part of the equation, the influence of media, everything from what they watch in the movies, on television, through the Internet, the messages that are generated online are certainly having an impact, and it isn't a good one. We'll explore this a bit deeper as we visit with Melissa Henson, Vice President of the Parents Television and Media Council. And Melissa, thanks for being with us today. You know, it's one thing to talk about alarming increases in the divorce rate in America today. But when you begin to uncover that only one in four adults believe that having children is extremely or very important to having a fulfilled life, it really says something and it's not a good message. That's right. And thank you for having me on too. It it is a a troubling picture, and as you mentioned, it's not merely that the divorce rate is so high. I think something like 50% of first marriages end in divorce. Um, But but young people today of marrying age have very little interest in settling down and getting married and very little interest in having children, and that's potentially disastrous, uh, you know, for the future of the country. I mean, already... um, you know, if it weren't for if it weren't for immigration, we would be facing population collapse because um, native-born Americans are not replacing themselves. Um, so it is a very troubling picture. And of course, 
you know, kind of lying, undulating down below the surface of that sense of an increased or decreased value, rather, in the importance of marriage, I think is also the notion that we've seen steadfastly promoted, underscored, encouraged by media and entertainment is the idea that, you know, why even bother? In other words, you know, the complexities of finding somebody, going through a courtship, proposing, getting married, having kids, going through a divorce, starting over again, you know, divorce court battles, custody battles, alimony. Hey, isn't it a lot easier just to go out and find casual relationships? I mean, certainly there's been uh, a whole steady stream of programs and movies that appear on online streaming services that um, promote that message. But quite frankly, I would argue that message has been um, center stage in, in modern film and television since the late 1960s. Yeah, uh, I think that's absolutely true. And uh, what I think is very telling is in 2008, the PTC, that's uh, the organization that I work for, we did a study looking at how marriage was treated on television. Um, and if you think back, that was about 15 years ago. So kids who grew up watching the programs that I'm about to talk about, um, those are the kids that would now be of marrying age. And what we found in 2008 was um, that sex in the context of marriage was either non-existent or uh, to the extent it did exist, it was depicted as burdensome rather than as an expression of love and commitment. Um, we found that across broadcast networks, which was the dominant medium then, no longer, but at that time it was, um, verbal references to non-marital sex outnumbered references to sex in the context of marriage by nearly three to one. Scenes depicting or implying sex between non-married partners outnumbered scenes depicting or implying sex between um, between married partners by a ratio of four to one. So, you know, if, if you're a child and you're growing up and you're consuming media that routinely denigrates uh, the institution of marriage uh, that makes it seem like it's a burden, it's a chore, that there's no spark, there's no romantic interest there after you've been married. Um, but by contrast, non-marital or extramarital relationships are fun and exciting, then kids are going to internalize that message. And I think what we are seeing now is um, those messages coming, those chickens are coming home to roost. And, and uh, the sour attitude that many young adults now have about getting married. And, and you know, <laughs> to, to your observation about the chickens coming home to roost, I, it, it, that resonates so strongly because when you have the observation of children who have not had the benefit of being able to, as they grow up, um, reflect back on healthy marriage relationships with their parents. And I understand things happen. Relationships don't always work out. Uh, I myself am the product of a broken home. Uh, never any fun. Um, certainly young men and women that grow up, fall in love, get married if they are, are from broken homes. They've missed out on that mentoring, that modeling uh, of what a healthy, wholesome, together family looks like. So they are inclined to repeat a lot of the mistakes. And then I think, Melissa, when you couple that with the subtle and oftentimes these days not so subtle messages being 
being put out by media, social media, entertainment that says, yeah, no big deal. You know, that whole marriage thing is certainly kind of, you know, yesterday's news. It's passe. We watch Ricky and Lucy Ricardo in separate twin beds on television and laugh at it. Um, they're, they're underscoring not only dangerous messages, but, you know, we don't talk a lot about the notion of what happens to a society when it begins to fail to replenish itself and replace itself and and what, what that means uh, and, and the impact that it has on the health of a nation and the entire idea that we have falling birth rates and part of it is because some people are just saying, you know, the value of marriage and having children just isn't there for me. And I, I've got to say, when we begin to look, and I know I'm going to date myself here, but when we begin to look at the impact of things like the film industry abandoning the old Hayes Code and this not creep, this rapid change in the moral direction of entertainment that then spilled over into television and now in all forms of media and entertainment that sends messages that run contrarian to traditional family values, healthy relationships, the value of, you know, dual parent families, love and the benefits of marriage and all that. We're really reaping what we've sown, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to a point that you touched on um, a little bit ago, which I think is really important that um, this is a generational shift, right? So if you went back to... um programs that aired in the 50s and 60s, you think about Leave it to Beaver or Ozzie and Harriet or Father Knows Best or even the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, These were, you know, maybe idealized families and sure, I've heard the criticism that, you know, families like that never really existed, that that it was, you know, a fabrication, that it was an unrealistic ideal, but at least it was an ideal. And I've had conversations with people who came from troubled home lives who had um, came from broken families who, who who had difficult childhoods but they they took some solace you know in being able to watch those shows and say maybe that kind of a, a family life is possible and what kind of solace do kids today who are growing up in broken homes what kind of solace do they have they, they have nothing um, instead what they are being fed is content that is reinforcing this sort of negative notion or negative ideas that they may have developed about uh, about what marriage and family life is all about um, and I think that's very damaging and and I think it explains why we have in this country right now we have a, a mental health crisis among teens and young adults. We have a loneliness epidemic, especially among young men. Um, and, uh, you know, um, a lot of a lot of uh, promiscuity uh, among young adults. Um, not only are they not interested in settling down, they're not even interested in a monogamous relationship, whether whether it's married or not. They're, they're just, you know, um, going on dating apps like Tinder and what have you and, and just looking for casual hookups. And I think that's in the long run, very, very damaging to a young person's mental health. 
absolutely so. And sadly, as you say, when you when you lose the mentoring at home, and then there are no positive reinforcements to any of the messaging, and all the other places where children are influenced not only by the peer pressure, but by shall we say it, the electronic pressure, it, it's setting up a pretty dangerous precedent. If you've just joined us, our conversation with Melissa Henson, Vice President of the Parents Television and Media Council, longtime listeners to this program know that I have long argued that many of these messages coupled with all of the violence that we see and and, and driving home that message that entertainment, violence, diversion, violence, settling disputes, violence. We teach our kids that, uh, that adults settle things by going to war, picking up a gun, whatever. Guess what? They're getting the message and they're acting out that way. You want to know why we see this alarming increase in in, in, in brutality on the streets and people just willingly pick up a gun, don't think twice about it to shoot somebody else because you took my parking place. We have trained them. Don't believe for a moment that these messages and these vehicles that are used to deliver the messages are not powerful. Because if you believe that, I hate to say it, you're a fool. Let's get a timeout. We'll come back to more of our conversation. What exactly is love? Hollywood apparently doesn't have a clue. His Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, Craig, I've seen some of this stuff, this, shall we dare say, even filth on television. I got I to wonder, where is the FCC? Shouldn't the federal communication? Well, the FCC has got limited control and in influence. Yes, there are the seven dirty words you're never supposed to say on television. And there are restrictions in terms of uh, the degrees of nudity and what have you before 10 o'clock at night. But at the end of the day, the amount of control that the commission has over content is extremely narrow. Move over to things like internet delivered services. I'm thinking of, you know, everything from uh, Netflix to Hulu, etc., etc. Well, there's no control there at all. Likewise, cable television has zero restrictions. Now, you'd hope that they'd try to make some kind of an effort, but you know what? At the end of the day, making the effort to do right is always going to be trumped by the effort to make money. And at the end of the day, we know certainly, uh, Melissa Henson, what drives and motivates these companies, don't we? It's the almighty dollar. Well, I, I mean, that's the that's the defense that you hear them put forth is, you know, we're just delivering what audiences want. But I, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with that, because I think there is significant data to indicate that um, there's really nobody clamoring for this. I mean, certainly, unfortunately, in this day and age uh, with easy access to really explicit content online people don't need to go to tv to find it um but there is evidence to suggest that people are looking for and not finding enough uh quality entertainment that they can watch with their kids that they can watch together as a family and even among young people what's fascinating is there was a ucla study uh that came out this past fall um, and they found that a majority of teens want to see fewer stories uh, about dating and more stories about friendship. And a, a near majority, about 47.5%, said that sex isn't needed for the plot of most TV shows and movies. 
So, um, you know, this argument that they're just giving audiences what they want really doesn't hold water. I think there's significant evidence that audiences want the opposite. They want to see uh, wholesome storytelling. They want to they want to see programs that they can sit down and watch with the whole family, that they can enjoy with the kids. They don't want to have in your face, um, you know, uh, content all the time. And even that the, the kids grew up seeking out that kind of content and and um, really embracing it are starting to, to understand the harm that it did to them. Um, you know, in this piece that we, we put in a town hall, they uh, we quoted a, a young woman named Katie, a 23-year-old. She said she grew up watching Sex in the City and Girls, and she said, HBO did a number on me. Um, she 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 grew up ingrained with the idea that uh, you need to be comfortable having sex with someone you're not committed to, and that's what she did. And she found herself in some really dangerous and scary situations, and uh, regrets the choices that she made as a young as a young woman. So you're suggesting that it's not always necessarily a choice per se, and I know that's true. If we, if we look at wholesome movies, family-friendly films, they do extraordinarily well at the box office, um, and and yet I have to wonder, clearly these messages are being disseminated out there, and we have statistics to demonstrate the impact. So is it part of a more, I hate to say agenda, but maybe that's the best term, Melissa, more of a subtle agenda? that's being promoted by the writers of many of these series that are slipping all of these messages in? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I like you, I'm a little wary of using the word agenda, but it does seem like there is something else going on. Um, uh, you know, maybe it's not so much an agenda, maybe it's bragging rights. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the stories that I talk about is... Um, you may remember the movie The King's Speech. Um, oh, there's yes. no reason in, that, in the world that movie couldn't have gotten a PG rating, except for one scene where they use the F word about a, a half a dozen or more times. Um, and they, they felt that, it, you know, so that gave it an R rating, which made it a serious contender for the Academy Awards. Well, after it won the Academy Awards, they re released it without that scene. So it obviously wasn't needed. It wasn't that integral to telling the story. If they could release the, you know, PG-13 or a PG version that didn't include that scene. Um, so a lot of times, I think it's it's more about, you know, uh, being considered a serious movie. You have to have that kind of edgy content or to to get kudos and accolades from your industry peers. Um, but it's not about delivering what audiences want. No, clearly not. And, and the notion somehow that if it doesn't, you know, have sex and gore, that nobody's going to bother to see it or, you know, heaven forbid, it's get anything less than an X or an R rating. People are going to feel that, well, real adults don't go to see films like that. G-rated movies are for kids. I mean, talk about a distorted viewpoint on the subject matter. And it's almost as if we're voluntarily consuming the poison because we have some misguided idea that if the rating doesn't seem to suggest adult material that is not as suitable for adult. I mean, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And I'll, I'll just share with you, um, I've been enjoying watching uh, All Creatures Great and Small on PBS. Um, and I think every episode has been rated PG. Um, so there's not been anything that I would be uncomfortable letting my 15-year-old watch. He, he hasn't particularly been interested in it, but it's something that you could watch as a family without fear of embarrassment. But it's absolutely 
lovely and heartwarming and and perfectly appropriate and and enjoyable for adults as well so it's it's really a foolish notion that you have to have that kind of edgy content in order to uh, attract adult audiences and i think you know programs like all creatures great and small show that that's not true yeah, clearly. And, you know, when you, when you think about the power that we have, we ought to be able to vote with our feet on things like this. And maybe we need to exercise more of that in sending sending a message that, hey, you know, uh, the, the kind of subtle and, and not so subtle messages that are being disseminated in a lot of this content, it's, not, it's just not what the public wants. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for, for us adults uh, as well, I think there's a lesson in there. Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot of even uh, Christian commenters uh, talking about programs like Game of Thrones or Yellowstone, which have a lot of um, pretty egregious content. And, you know, the <laughs> I think we need to use better discernment and judgment, too, even as adults, even if we're not worried about it corrupting our morals, even if we think that, you know, we're... we're we're not going to be influenced by it. I think we are in ways that maybe we don't recognize, so we need to use better judgment and discern it, discernment, too. We, we do indeed, and, you know, there's the voting with our feet, and, you know, as we do so, it sends out a message, and, and, and maybe we need to be a little bit more discriminating when it comes uh, to our choices. I mean, I, I for one, I, I, I love a good comedian, but... If you tune into somebody online and they're not five sentences in before the foul language comes out, I turn the I, I turn it off. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I I I'm an adult. Um, two grandfathers that were both career Navy men, so I know all the words. <laughs> I'm not a prude in that regard. Uh, I'm not afraid that I'm going to melt if I hear it, but I don't like it. I don't need it. I don't find it entertaining. I don't find it amusing. And and those that feel that somehow if the language uh, is not in there, that it's somehow not appropriate for adults, sorry, just don't have any time. And I think more of us need to have that, that very same attitude and not be willing to compromise as easily as we are. Uh, folks want to get more information about what you guys are doing and, and keeping educated on not only what's going on in the arenas of television and entertainment, what's on the internet, etc., etc. Just take a second, if you would, Melissa, and tell folks about um, the Parents Television and Media Council. Sure. Yeah, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan media watchdog organization. We're a grassroots organization. Um, we really rely on um, uh, vocal and active um uh, parents and grandparents out there who are willing to send emails or make phone calls uh, in order to uh, uh, get some positive mo- movement here in the entertainment industry. And you can learn more about us at ParentsTV.org. ParentsTV.org. Our thanks to Melissa Henson, Vice President for the Parents Television and Media Council, for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Talking about a bit of a brief military history, and anybody who knows their military knows that uh, for the longest time, certainly speaking specifically to the United States military, at one time we were something like the 11th, or I I think even in the the later teens in terms of military might going into World War II. Our U.S. military was was fairly broken. Um, We had been a military that up until that point had been largely race-based. 
Then during World War II, when there was such a demand for fighters, the U.S. military began to realize that there were soldiers, Japanese descent, Americans, who could fight as brilliantly and valiantly as any Caucasian soldier, uh, ditto African-Americans, who fought during World War II, won some pretty spectacular battles, I might add. And slowly we began to see a shift. Didn't happen fast, seldom does in the military. But over time, the recognition of the importance of a merit-based advancement system in the United States military became front of center. And you would think, good, that's, that's good progress. Well, sometimes we take two steps forward and sometimes we take three steps backwards. And I think my first guest tonight is going to suggest uh, that, that some of the recent movement going on within the military, and we'll cite an example in the Air Force, would suggest we're about to take some giant steps backwards. Joining me now, Lieutenant Colonel, currently with the Texas State Guard, brilliantly served the United States Army for 21 years now, retired, former member of the U.S. House of Representatives in Florida. Pleased to have join us on the program, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And uh, such a delight to have you join us. We miss you in Congress. That was a short stint. How do we get you back in Congress again? <laughs> well, Craig, it's good to be with you. And it's, uh, it, it kind of became a short stint when your own party redistricted you out and you're the number one target of the Democrat Party back in 2012. So I got a good taste of voter fraud back then. Uh, we still almost won that re-election race, but we came up short by 0.49%. But, you know, I still continue to stand up and fight for my country, uh, regardless of being in Congress or out of Congress. Well, I, I understand that, and, and I certainly applaud that. I'm, I'm just commenting that uh, yeah. your, your tenure in the, uh, in the United States States House of Representatives was noted even by folks clear out here in California in terms of the quality of the caliber that you were working and doing for uh, the Americans, uh, taxpayers and voters. And we appreciate that. Hey, you My continue on in, in active duty, as I mentioned, though you had retired with um, multiple decorations after a, a brilliant 21 year um, career with the, um, as I mentioned, the United States Army. You're back in saddle again as of 2019. I understand you're now serving in the Texas State Guard there again as a uh, lieutenant colonel. And so you're you're uniquely qualified, I think, to speak to the issue that I kind of broached at the top of the program tonight and this notion that there seems to be this this paradigm shift and not in a good direction going on in the United States military. Tell us what's going on. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think I can speak firsthand to that because my father uh, United States Army Corporal Herman West Sr. Uh, served in the military, in the Army, a segregated Army, in World War II. And he was the reason why I became an officer. Uh, my older brother was a Marine combat infantryman uh, that was wounded in a place called Quezon during the Vietnam War. So we have a history of service, sacrifice, and commitment. And now my nephew is a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, and he is commanding an artillery battalion just the same as I did. 
so when I think about the Tuskegee Airmen and my godfather, William Sticky Jackson, was a Tuskegee Airman, the 332nd uh, Fighter Squadron, you know, they were requested uh, by bomber uh, pilots and bomber squadrons, not because of the color of their skin, but because of their skill and their ability in the air. They never lost a bomber in, in combat, and I think that that is what we want to get back to, is a merit-based uh, military, a military that's based upon uh, your skills and your capability, a military that's based upon your stand- a standard that is achievable, but you have to push yourself to achieve that standard, not one where we you know, talk about equity and talk about equality of outcomes, and we talk about inclusion uh, when we really don't understand that that is degradation on our military readiness. Uh, you look at what is happening now with this cultural Marxism, DEI, and everything that's in our military. You can't tell one group of people that you're bad, you will always be bad because you're an oppressor, and another group of people that you're a victim, uh, you're oppressed, and then think you're going to have a cohesive fighting force. And I tell you, that's one of the reasons why in the 50-year history of the all-volunteer military, we are now seeing in the last couple of years the inability to make the recruitment and retention goals. And, you know, that is so disquieting, particularly in light of everything going on in the world stage today. And, mm-hmm. and we're looking at, you know, the, the old adage, real and present danger from avowed enemies of ours. Yes, even our number one trading partner, I think, arguably, uh, it sits in that category, speaking specifically about communist China, then we add to that all that's been going on in, in Europe in relationship to uh, Russia, and on and on the list goes. And, it, and it's interesting that you note, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, that we, we when we made this transition from conscription to all-volunteer, um, make no mistake about it, all branches of the military really attracted very quality people who not only loved their country, wanted to serve their country, believed that they had something to contribute. Uh, There's oftentimes this misnomer that, well, this is sort of the last resort. If you're a loser and you you can't succeed in anything else and you can't pass an entrance exam uh, to go to a university, then, you know, join the military. Nonsense. Uh, Most of these men and women are highly intelligent, highly decorated, and have served this nation uh, with tremendous degrees of sacrifice, both in times of war and and outside of war. Although, as you know, we've been on a war footing here up until our withdrawal from Afghanistan for for decades. That said, this notion of all of a sudden now we can't attract enough young men and women to the United States military. They've got to be taking note of the fact that there is this paradigm shift to which I referred earlier. That is less about the 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 nature of your character, your your skills, talents, and abilities, but more about the color of your skin. Why are we going backwards all of a sudden? Well, that's just the nature of Marxism. Marxism is about division. Uh, it was created along socioeconomic uh, lines, but the Marxists of today are going to use, and that's why we call it culture Marxism, to divide us upon racial lines. And who would want to join a military where that's the focus? Who would want to join a military where you have the current nominee, nominee to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff 
uh, Air Force uh, Chief of Staff General Charles Q. Brown, who has said he only wants 46% of white fighter pilots in the Air Force. Why would you restrict, you know, uh, to a certain number or quota, you know, what color fighter pilots you want in the in the Air Force? So when you hear these things or when you know what happened in Afghanistan, and I don't know how many of your listeners saw the, uh, the hearing and the testimony of those Gold Star families who lost their loved ones on that fateful day at Harmony Karzai International Airport, a place I know very well. I spent two and a half years in Afghanistan. And to hear their their stories and to hear how they were lied to and hear how they are disrespected and dismissed or the fact that we know that in the Army, uh, soldiers are being told to go on food stamps to provide for their families. And there was a story that just came out today, uh, Fort Hood, Texas, now Fort Cavazos, that was my last duty assignment, where uh, single soldiers that live on the, on the installation, uh, they are, you know, suffering because they don't have enough food service operations open. You know, we used to call them the mess halls. They don't have enough dining facilities to open to take care of the soldiers. So why would you want to join an organization that is more so worried about, uh, you know, murdering unborn babies in the womb or more so worried about gender transition surgeries than just the basics of making sure that if you're a single soldier in the barracks, you got a place to go eat. Uh, so those are just a cacophony of issues that are facing uh, these young people. And also understand, Craig, that in the age group of 18 to 26 or 27, less than 30 percent of the young people in that age group are qualified to join the military. So this is a highly competent military, and we're we're just not training people and we're not caring for people uh, to the point where they want to be a part of it. And we're making it more and more difficult for the best and, and, best and brightest to, to succeed. And, and why would we ever mm-hmm. do that? I mean, put that in context. For those of us that are yeah. old enough to remember uh, between the, the Afghan war the Kuwait War, mm-hmm. going back prior to that, well be prior to that. Uh, Vietnam, you might even be old enough eavesdropping on this conversation tonight to oh, remember yeah. uh, places like Korea. Why would the military not first and foremost say, we want the sharpest, the best, the brightest, the smartest to be in all of those positions of responsibility and authority as opposed to saying, well, we didn't hit our quota today. Do we really want a quota-based military? And I know some are going to say, well, Lieutenant Colonel West, you and Craig, you know, you you guys are are beating up on the Air Force because he, after all, uh, was in the Army and longtime listeners of the program know that both my grandfather served um, in the United States Navy during World War II, so you guys are just biased against the Air Force. No, not at all. Put this in context. Is this the kind of military that you want standing in the gap between you and an enemy? Let's talk about this. We're going to take a time out, come back to more of our conversation. With us today, we are honored to have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, currently serving in the United States Texas State Guard and uh, served faithfully with uh, multiple decorations for uh, more than 21 years in uh, the United States Army. And we're talking about the dangers of a integrated military, but not in the way that you're thinking. 
bizarre. We'll come back with more details and why this is so risky to the safety and security of the United States as our conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 